Welcome everyone to the season finale of the Young Money Diet podcast. We are doing a great debate between Wasif and Raj. And each round will have one topic of debate. The opening statement will have 60 seconds. The other team will have 60 seconds to respond. And then both sides will have 30 seconds to close their debates. And during that last 30 seconds of the closing debates, that's where you guys come in and you will be submitting your votes through the, the Microsoft Teams chat. And then my trusty associate Cameron here will be tallying the votes for the end results, which we will reveal at the end of the episode. Um, after that, the winner will be donating $20 of the loser's money to a charity of their choice. And that's, that's the game. That's what we're doing today. Raj, receive any comments? Yeah, I just wanted to kind of shout out our guests that have actually donated their time, joined us for this episode. Very, very thankful to have you guys. So we have we have Mark, we have Cynthia, we have Bruce, Eric, Stephanie, Stuart, Nye, Taylor, Janae, Malak, Raj, Brendan, myself, and last but last the least, I think Cameron Sherby. Did I get everybody? Cam- Cameron Sherby, yeah. Yeah, We're okay. All good. Perfect. And then the other thing I kind of want to disclaim too is, you know, it's pretty clear that we have no idea what the topics are, what side would be arguing for. So kind of take it as almost like an entertainment angle rather than an education angle, because if we get fact checked, we're done. Like we're, there is no hope <laughs> to God we can figure this out because there's definitely going to be some things we don't know anything about in terms of what what topic we're going to get. So with with respect to that, I think, Brendan, you said we're going to get a warm up just to yeah, get, so get us in the mood. We're going to do a warm up round so Raj and Steve can practice their argument skills and then everyone else is going to get to practice their voting in the last 30 seconds so we can all get a feel for what's going to happen. So the topic for our warm-up round is whether a hot dog is a sandwich or not. Raj, you will be arguing that a hot dog is a sandwich, and Wasif, you will be arguing that it is not a sandwich. So, Wasif, take it away. Okay, so it, let's. I think it's important to start with the definition of a sandwich. So, sandwich to me is is along the vertical axis. So you need bread, topping, bread at the bottom. So if we have horizontal angle, like a hot dog, you have bread, something in the bottom, somewhere along the line of a dog, a mustard, whatever, and then some more bread on the other side, but the vertical angle is completely open at the top, and there's some crazy thing that's happening in the bottom. So if we look at that definition that I just talked about with respect to the sandwich, the hot dog makes no sense. And the whole essence of a sandwich is flat meat. So if you have deli meat, you can spread that out, it goes nicely over a square, This round angle that this whole hot dog thing has going on, I feel like it's an identity crisis that doesn't necessarily belong on a on a hot dog bun. So personally, for me, there is no way I can I can confidently say that. Raj, what are what are your thoughts on this, Raj? So I can appreciate your argument with the vertical axis. However, I myself, when I'm eating a hot dog, sometimes the buns separate in a very unfortunate turn of events. Now to dispute the other mention of curvature with the round hot dog shape versus deli meat well would you consider a burger a sandwich or not because a burger doesn't have completely symmetric symmetric especially a smash burger another thing to mention with definitions you put condiments on a sandwich you also put condiments on a hot dog you can eat a sandwich or a hot dog both with one or two hands now 
in colloquial English, you might not mention, hey, I'm going to grab a sandwich and get a hot dog. However, I think it does meet the literal definition of a sandwich. So see, 30 I, seconds. No problem. I love the way that you mentioned the burger and a hot, uh, hot dog and a sandwich because if we made the distinction between burgers and sandwiches, even though they're on a vertical axis, it's very clear to me that we have to make a distinction between sandwich and hot dogs because you can call a chicken sandwich a sandwich, even if it's vertical, but you don't call a burger a sandwich. A burger is its own classification, so it should be a hot dog. Raj, final 30 I, seconds. You know, if you look at the species of Homo sapiens, everybody is different and unique. However, it all ties in to the underlying definition. So I think sandwich, you look at it from a top genre. And then within that, you've got so many different types of sandwiches. You can have, you know, a smash burger. You can have a traditional you know, Subway sandwich. Let's look at Subway, for example. Their buns are uniformly one piece connected at the seam. All right, thank you, Raj. Thank, you, thank you for your comments. That's all the time you got. That's all the time you got. So uh, <laughs> it was not easy. <laughs> we should do a mob vote, I think, Brendan, just to see the process working. So this is around the time that I would be moving on to the next topic, and then everyone else in this call can submit their vote into the chat about Wasif or Raj, who argued better. Okay. So by the way, I don't think hot dogs a sandwich. <laughs> it's not. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so let's move in to the actual debate with our first topic. The first topic is the COVID stimulus package. Wasif, you are arguing for the COVID stimulus package, and Raj, you are arguing against it. Raj, your 60 seconds starts now. Okay, so if you, can, if you look at World War II... Uh, they issued war bonds. And at that time, there the government was dependent on the people to fund the war. And uh, totally, that's what started income taxes. Now, there was a premise that income taxes weren't supposed to go, they were supposed to go away. But long story short, the, in that time, following the Great Depression, the government required the individuals to fund uh, times of crisis. And now, alternatively, individuals are in need of government. So clearly our economic system is broken in the sense that the government needs to go into a deeper deficit, print more money, devalue our currency, you know, us or the states, in order to fund individuals. Now, a big problem I also had with the COVID stimulus package is they very much favor the individual, but not the businesses. If I'm a local business owner, I'm employing three or four different individuals if I own, such, let's say, a nail salon. All they got was an interest-free loan. Wasif? Whereas individuals... Wasif? Yeah, no problem. So basically, I'll just refer to it as the CRB. And I, I what, what I want to approach this debate with is we have a social safety net for things that are beyond our control. So healthcare is a perfect example. You can grow up one more... You can just wake up one morning. You can have a condition that you may not have existed had before and it's covered because it's through no fault of your own. COVID pandemic is the same way. There is no one who signed up for this. All of us here that are in here are all in this together. So it's really 
it's only imperative that we take care of each other in that way because if we take care of some people's livelihood and we just let them fend for themselves they don't might not have the savings to be able to fend for themselves and it will kind of devolve into a lawlessness state which is not in the best interest for people that are making money and also for the country to have prosperous recovery and a and a state of peace so it makes sense that we help out our neighbors in the best way we know how because some of us have the ability to work during this period and some of us don't so it, right. it's only fair so to go with helping the collective who ultimately has more power or capability with money is the businesses or an individual an individual has their own vested interests and can often waste that money so i'm a strong believer that the businesses should have been helped out the local businesses because they employ many different people and that keeps employment is one of the number one factors that helps lower crime rates and other you know statistics that might have impact so i think the serb package could have been more advantageous if it spent more of its time helping the business owners so in terms of the business there's two things i want to mention number one you can give them money but by no means are they beholden to pay their employees they can just pay their lease they can pay their bills they can leave their employees high and dry and their employees will be the ones at the bottom line suffering the most so it makes sense for the government intervention to focus on the individuals where that's where the personal needs are taking care of your family taking care of yourself whereas businesses are by law not allowed to operate depending on the business so giving them a stimulus package at this point may not help the employees directly okay that's it well done gentlemen we can move on to our second topic our second topic is buying versus renting and i'm talking apartments homes duplexes stuff like this so wasif you are arguing for buying and raj you are arguing for renting and I want Wasif to start this argument. So please take it away. Okay, so buying kind of inherently puts your skin in the game. So it allows you to get ownership of something that you own and therefore you sort of allow to well allow it to take care of itself so it can look at be looked at from an investment angle so whether it be your house so now you have ownership so you take care of your house and your wealth grows over time or it could be looked at as in terms of your car so you have an invested emotional interest in something that you personally own so buying always allows you to hopefully grow your wealth over time because you're you're kind of buying into the idea of whatever that you're consuming every time you kind of talk about renting or leasing you're just you're just in and out you're in and it for the temporary like i'm just going to use it i'm never going to use it again so it doesn't make sense for any longer term investments that you have in your life to be rentals whereas you can easily buy and have a share of the growth of something over time or even the loss of something but buying is what emotionally grounds you and invests you to whatever product or item that you're consuming. So that is the best psychological right. state to be in. So with renting, I think it gets a bad stigma because you're putting money to the birds. But to dispute that, the world is becoming so globalized and adaptive that it's for a lot of individuals, I don't know if I'm going to be working in Edmonton in five years. And if I need to sell, that's a big burden. So yes, you can grow your wealth. However, selling a house, you're probably losing... 10% on that sale just from fees and different other marketing schemes that are required. Renting is so flexible wherein you can go, you don't have to consume a lot of things and you don't have to worry about maintenance. Whereas, you know, Taylor, for example, is moving to Toronto when he needs to come back for the holidays or if he gets a job in, in California, he doesn't need to worry about now selling this asset. Ultimately, also assets are at the, at the 
burden of interest rates, which is under government control. And you can see that we have such limited control with interest rates being so low. The government tried to do a stress test a few years ago and it didn't work in Toronto and Vancouver. We're really running out of room. And now with even more money printed with CERB, for example, we're almost out of Receive? room where you're going. Okay. I think I'm going to challenge that underlying assumption that whenever you are going your economic mobility is challenged by the fact that you own an asset if i can own an asset in edmonton and i can choose to live in toronto by renting there what the whole point of that is my asset in edmonton grows over time where i have a source of reoccurring income while i get to have my economic mobility and live in live and prosper wherever i want to in any given country or geographical setting so that's something that i think sort of is not a valid argument to put forth raj it's just you should be looking at your growth over time in your life and buying by far is your best option I think fixed assets are um, overappreciated. I would much rather have liquid cash because opportunity fails favors those that are available. So if Taylor and I want to start um, SpaceX times 2.0, I've got that money available right away and I can invest in even the S&P 500, get a 10% return. And that cash is liquid. If I've got an asset in Edmonton that I'm not, I'm spending time and effort managing, and then all of a sudden there's an opportunity and Taylor needs cash, um, he comes to you and I, I've got that cash available, liquid right now. I'm able to okay, seize thank those you, opportunities. Raj. Thank you, Raj. Good arguments, good arguments. Can we can we pin Taylor? Because he's the only guy I can see, so he's going to be bullied, bullied by me the whole time. <laughs> I could try pinning Taylor, but that's okay. We'll I'm sure just, Taylor's okay with it. We'll, we'll, okay. Leave it out, we'll leave him out of it. Topic number three. The question is, are leaders born or are they made? Raj, you are arguing that leaders are born. With Seif, you are arguing that leaders are made. Raj, you, you are starting this debate. Take it away. Okay, so if you look at history, I'll use Hinduism as an, as an example. People had different castes. There were the Brahms and then different tranches below then. And even though there are no genetical or DNA differences that have been proven now with scientific um, evidence, those caste systems still exist in modern India. And so if you're born a Brahm or one of the higher tranches, so Aurora is actually second tranche of the five tranches. There are inherent opportunities that are available because of the stigma that still be fo is followed in, you see it in marriages or different opportunities. There's a reason not a lot of auroras are in Canada, whereas you look at Singh. Well, Singh's of a lower caste. So is there more um, people moving here because there's less opportunity in India? Because somebody with an aurora background, sub maybe subconsciously right or wrong, has more opportunities to get into the higher higher systems of education and then therefore become Wasif? stronger leaders because of the system that was Wasif? built so long ago. Yeah, so uh, leadership, let's just define it really, really quickly. Leadership is your ability to kind of take care of people that are take, ca taking care of something in on your behalf. So I liken leadership to parenting in a lot of sense that you're unconditionally taking care of your employees or people that are taking care of selling the goods or whatever it might be. It is absolutely an earned skill. The more work you put into it, the better you get at it over time. So you, you start with actually caring about people and listening to what they need and their requirements. And instead of going and telling them what to do, you have to sit there and giving them this time and space and allow them 
in terms of growing and fostering and doing what they need to do. So you need to learn patience. You need to learn how to articulate well. You need to learn how to communicate. Every single one of those skills is a learned skill that takes time, effort, and energy over time. So if you see any good leaders, like Nelson Mandela had a perfect example where he would always allow everybody else to speak and then speak in the end, that it comes with time and wisdom. Wisdom is just the fact that you've made a lot of mistakes and now you don't make them anymore. So the more time you have, the better you get at it, which means it has to be a learned skill or else. Raj? So if there's an individual born in Flint, Michigan versus somebody built it, born to a wealthy affluent family in Boston, who has a better skill set, even though the wisdom might not be there? You see this with the top 100 Forbes companies are predominantly white male CEOs. And that might be because of the circumstances that were built and the stigmas that were built for who leaders were in the past. You know, the great Alexander the Great was leading an army. While males biologically can be more aggressive, whereas females can be more um compassionate so why were females so i'm gonna challenge you right away raj like let's we we had a whole episode recording about how we both came from humble beginnings and i would consider you to be a good leader it's because you're putting the time effort and energy to work on this craft it's not that you're beholden to the circumstances that you were born in you can always change your circumstances even if you look at the absolute worst angle in terms of hitler who was a terrible terrible person but in terms of leading his army he was good and he, he came from a humble beginning most leaders in a lot of like Nelson Mandela is another example who came from humble beginnings. So there is just as many examples on the other side of the aisle. Thank you for your arguments, gentlemen. That was definitely an interesting topic there. You guys <laughs> feel free to vote for the winner on that one. Topic number four. The, the question is, will oil and gas be around in 30 plus years? Wasif? You are arguing that it will still be around in 30 plus years. Raj, you are arguing that it will not be around in 30 plus years. Wasif, you, you start. Okay, so I think one of the reasons why oil and gas will be definitely around for the foreseeable future, which is 30 plus years, is because we haven't been able to find a viable alternative. No matter how you look at the uh, green revolution, whether it's coming from Tesla and the electric cars or whatever it might be, the production of the electricity is happening on the renewable, like usable energy side, which is gas consumption or oil or whatever it might be. We don't have an alternative that we can look at in terms of 30 years where we can see, okay, well, this is something we can replace oil and gas with. So we don't have a stopgap solution. Anything without a stopgap solution is bound to fail. And not only is oil and gas just, you know, jet fuels or gasoline, it's petroleum products, plastics, all of the ancillary industries that depend on it have nowhere to go other than do oil and gas to be able to get what they need to do, manufacture what they need to have. Since we don't have a replacement, we don't have a better option. Raj? I think if, if you look at the Paris Agreement, a lot of companies have been on board for a while since this, this time. And you look at big oil companies like Shell that have now changed their narrative from an oil and gas company to an energy company and thriving to become the leader of electricity production. The greatest minds working on these problems are the ones that are going to university. And a lot of the individuals, the Gen Zs and the Gen Xs, are looking for sustainable emissions. Consequently, too, we have what are called financed emissions, wherein even me as an investment bank, if I supply money and capital to a carbon um, producing entity, I have to pay credit, take credit for that and take the detriment. So these companies are going to be moving away from 
their bottom dollars, wherein they want to grow their own capital and values. And that's where the innovative companies are going towards. You know, even Tesla, you see in it's become one of the top 50 in this S&P 100, sorry, S&P 500 in just the last decade. These are companies that have a vision and have... Yeah, change the game. So I, I actually agree with you on the on the underlying premise, Raj, that the movement is definitely going towards renewable energy and green deal. The disagreement we have is at the 30 year timeline. I think the fact that you just said you need to tax the oil and gas companies to incentivize the renewable energy side kind of gives away the whole argument that they need to be around for the foreseeable future so we can use their revenue and money to be able to go into research and find a viable alternative within the time frame of window that we're arguing about. So therefore, I'm not sure if there's another better option other than oil and gas in the next three decades. It, it's hard to predict, but commodities go in 30-year cycles and we are at a trough right now. And a lot of entities and analysts and economists that are predicting these cycles have brought commodities such as copper, barley. We are on the upwards um, trend. However, the narrative for oil and gas and energy, they don't actually predict that we're ever going to reach the peak again. And peak demand, yes, has already started to to peak. Sorry, demand has already started to peak. So I think in the next 30 years, we're going to see a big drop until predominantly we have you know, renewable, solar, wind, uh, even Thank you, Raj. is a technology. Moving on to our fifth topic of the debate. I'm going to paint a little bit of a scenario for you guys. You guys are at work and you are offered a promotion. This promotion comes with more responsibilities, more work. But it offers the same pay. Raj, you are arguing that it is necessary to take this promotion. Wasif, you are arguing the contrary. Okay. Raj, you start. I think that's the world we live in now, and that's actually reality. So when I started as a new grad at Shell, I was actually in a job grade where two professional engineers were working, and I took on that responsibility, knowing that. And I think it's a, it's necessary as an individual now, the world's becoming so competitive and globalized, wherein, you know, we can post this podcast online and people get a direct understanding of our capabilities immediately without even having to know us or spend time on us. And I think first impressions are important. And so moving up and taking extra responsibility, though it might not sound intuitive because you're getting paid the same, it gives yourself an opportunity to prove that, hey, Raj went the extra mile, he took on this project and he succeeded. And it's really a sink or swim. If you want to build a career and and grow within, you're not even that industry or company, but to prove that people are getting younger. You see, you know, Greta, who's, I don't even know, 16 years old, you know, changing the narrative and leading different initiatives that you wouldn't have seen 30 years ago. So I think young people are expected or even middle, middle end career, or you're, you're more so of an expectation now to take on that extra tasks and responsibilities in order to show that you're growing. Thank you, Raj. Even okay, so I want to start off with any time a business and an employee relationship is always a relationship. So it's a two-way street. It doesn't make sense to have an imbalance where you increase someone's workload and responsibilities and then not compensate them for it. Because at the end of the day, then that imbalance 
usually manifest in some kind of resentment. So once you start becoming successful, what you actually end up seeing is saying, hey, like they didn't value my talent six months or one year prior. So why must I stay at this company and continue to further their agenda where I have this new skill where I've proven myself now and I will go out into the market and value myself. So it makes sense for the companies or businesses to not take advantage of a younger individual like us, Raj, where we have we have enthusiasm, we have passion, we have the skills to be able to take on the challenge, but rather than, you know, actually believing us because it subconsciously signals that we don't believe in you, why don't you prove yourself again? If you believed in us, you should pay up in, in the beginning because that really signals you, hey, like you're here to stay. Why don't you make the best decisions you can, make the best output that we can possibly get from you without having to worry about the money angle? Because Thank you, Wasif. So Wasif, to contrast what you said about um, having that relationship and the balance, Ultimately, I or whoever else could say can say no, and ultimately you can take those those challenges and take build those skill sets and move on. the The beauty with capitalism is you have a choice. Um, so, do you want to take this extra responsibility? You know, the question Brendan asked was, should you? Um, if you choose no, then you're at the detriment of the reputation. Which, yes, I agree. There's, you know, that shouldn't be how it is. But also you have been able to prove yourself and then looking outwards that opens other opportunities whereas if Thank you say you, no to those type of opportunities so basically the one of the biggest benefit of kind of <clears throat> having this dialogue between your employer and yourself and ask not have not you go ahead and you basically <laughs> tell them look i am 100 percent willing to take on the extra opportunities or responsibilities but what i would like to get is fairly compensated it's not something you're asking for it's a fair amount of compensation your business transaction on one side has gone up but the other side is in deficit. So you want to get them to the same level. So it's a sustainable long-term relationship that's mutually beneficial that can grow into a bigger spot. So it doesn't make sense to take advantage of the employee at the expense of, of money rather than the company Thank you, having a relationship. So the next topic is related and quite similar, but this time you'll be arguing the flip side of it, I guess just to see how good you guys are at actually debating. <clears throat> so, let me see here. Raj, you are now arguing that you would prefer to work 40 hours a week for $75,000 a year. With Seif, you are arguing that you should want to work 60 hours a week for $100,000 a year. With Seif, <clears throat> take it away. Absolutely. So this is a perfect example of why people who are willing to put the work in should be rewarded. If you have 60 hours available, you're, you're definitely made personal sacrifices compared to your colleagues that the other people haven't made. They might have choose to become, you know, more available or community involved. They might have chosen to become parents, whatever. There's things in their way that doesn't allow them to work 60 hours a week for you to be able to signal and show that you are there to further the company's agenda more than somebody else really shows that, hey, I'm here to stay, I'm here for the long term, so why don't you take a chance on me compared to somebody else? The money along the way just goes back to my previous argument. It's because it's fair. It's to pay someone $75,000 for 60 hours a week where you're paying $75,000 for 40 hours a week makes no sense, which means that you should fairly compensate the person who's working that extra 20 hours and they get the more $25,000 more or whatever. And what that allows you to do is show the company or signal early on that, look, I'm here to stay, I'm here to grow, and I'm here to... For 
further the company's agenda to the best of my ability. And I will take personal sacrifices to make myself available for that cause. And that's how we sh every young person should basically gauge an opportunity and uh, direct themselves. Um, so I want to I want to go back to what I mentioned with making yourself competitive. So if you're putting 40 hours a week, if, especially if you're young, you might be not be doing work that's super interesting to you. You have extra time and capabilities to build either a second income, a second business. You have time to better improve yourself. So for example, I want to work in finance potentially. I can spend extra my extra time now investing and studying for CFA or GMAT to be able to build my CV in order to make myself marketable and competitive. It's, you know, it's no surprise and I'm not embarrassed to say that I'm, I might not have a 30 year career at Shell. That doesn't happen every day. So why put your eggs in all in one basket for an organization that can replace you tomorrow? Because I've seen that forefront in different industries and different companies. If you spend only 40 hours of your time and the money aspect, you know, 40, uh, 75K versus 100K, really dollar per dollar after tax is not actually that much. So spend that extra time building a second income, building something that's sustainable or at least Building, making yourself more competitive. So if you want to learn Python Thank you, Raj. data science. Thank so you, Raj. I'm just going to start off with something, Raj, is you can either be part of the problem or part of the solution. So the second the going gets tough, the the jump, you shouldn't jump the gun and go somewhere else where the going's easier, you can restart. You should be part of the solution. If a company is coming in with, with things that you may not agree on, you should speak up. You should be the change within the company that shows what is the potential of that business to grow into something that you truly believe in and some place that you would want to be proud working for. And the way to do that is to get to a leadership position and to have more hours in so you have a bigger vote and a bigger say in terms of the company's directive. The best way to Thank do you. that is we'll so this goes back to the born leaders versus um, are you becoming a leader? I've seen nowadays that merit is less important than your network and your strategy. You need to be able to prove yourself, but at some point it doesn't matter. If somebody at the top doesn't like you or you make a mistake, that will be a detriment. No matter if you're putting 60 hours, 40 hours, a thousand hours per week, you won't have the capabilities. And that's what I mean by putting your eggs in one basket, wherein you can spend extra time with your kids, with your spouse, with your friends, building a podcast like this, doing things that might interest you, but then also tangible or intangible, you might gain some benefits from those. Thank you, Raj. It... All right, we're moving on to our last debate. And this one's a good one. I'm excited about this one. So the question is, does money buy happiness? Wasif, you are arguing that money does in fact buy happiness. Raj, you are arguing that money does not buy happiness. Raj, take it away. So money helps in a lot of areas of life. However, we talked about this on the last forum. If you don't have physical health, Money can't help you. If I go out and break my leg, it doesn't matter if I have a million dollars or $10,000, at least in Canada, I'm still in that situation. At the end of the day, does your three-year-old kid care if they're living in a mansion or in a little duplex? They're not going to know. They're only going to know the quality time that you spend with them. And at some point, you can build your financial literacy to make yourself comfortable in which money is working for you. And I think ultimately a lot of people are striving for that 
Why? Because they want to spend their time and their efforts on things that actually interest them. I'm reading Sapiens right now. That's not gaining any financial benefit for me, but I'm learning, I'm intrigued, and I'm developing. So I'm spending extra time on things like that. So I'm not having to go and, you know, if I was not making salary, I could go work every single day. You know, Brittany as an RN could has the option to work every single day. But at some point, you need to balance your life and you need to get to a stage where You've got money because, yes, it's important. I don't dispute that. Yeah. So one of the things I want to challenge you on, Raj, if you look at it from a very Canadian angle where we're at the top 1% of the countries in terms of wealthy, and and we not only have healthcare, we have the ability to take care of our citizens. If you sort of have a global perspective, even to our neighbors down south and to other countries, there are people that are going hungry. There's people that are don't have access to water. For those people, money is life changing. So if, if when you don't when you cannot sleep at night, when you cannot eat, when you cannot have drinkable water, not having money limits your not only your happiness, your mental state. You're not even in a state to be able to succeed in a lot of the situations. For the majority of people in this world, what money allows them to do is accelerate their life to the point where they just can get things that they they should have access to. Past a certain point, maybe money doesn't matter, but if you look at the majority majority of the people across the globe, money is going to definitely bring them happiness to the degree where they can actually meet their needs and, and feed their kids and take care of all the things that you wanted to take care of. They, they will get the time to be able to read a book like Sapiens because they don't have to work 20 hours a day for $1. They will actually get an opportunity to buy themselves some time. So I think we agree on the, the sense that money can can bring comfort but the, i think the ultimate thing is happiness so yes once once you meet maslow's physiological er, one area of the triangle once you get to a certain level you can't purchase happiness with it you know i can buy a ferrari or lamborghini but how much joy and happiness is that going to be at the end of my life when i'm in my deathbed am i going to say oh i'm really glad that i drove a ferrari when i was 50 or am i going to look at my kids or my grandkids or maybe some of the impacts i had maybe i went and helped some individuals like you mentioned that are on the poverty line Thank i'm going to remember moments like that so i think uh, one of the challenges with money if everyone kind of goes to that like flashy cars or fancy watch it's really about spending money on things that you care about so if you have a ton of money and you want to go help a whole bunch of people perfect now you can do that when you don't have the money so essentially money buys you happiness because it allows you to enables you to do things that you want to do if buying expensive watches does make you happy no money allows you to do that if it buying buying cars is the exact same way but just buying a car because raj wanted me to do it versus me actually gaining happiness from it isn't going to make you happy which is where we would have to have a disagreement but in a sense money allows you all to right get thank you receive thank you receive and that is the seven topics of debate. <coughs> Let's see where the last... That was hard. <laughs> <laughs> that was a lot. Not gonna lie. Give it as hot and heavy. Hopefully there are some good questions in there for you guys. It was great questions, Brendan. I, I don't know who came up with them. I'm sure some of the guests helped, but they were excellent questions. Just there was a know. couple guest questions in there, and then Cam and I came up with most of them. I can guess a Cam question already off the top of my head. <laughs> Which one? Yeah, same. <laughs> it's the seventy-five thousand versus the hundred thousand. Tell me I'm wrong. Yeah, yeah, we talked about that one for sure. Okay. Okay, we have the results. So, no hard feelings, Raj. Okay, so for the COVID stimulus, <laughs> for the COVID stimulus debate, we see if you won that one. 
with the votes five to four. So that was a close one. Whoa. Buying versus renting. Raj, you won five to four. Um, our leaders born with C. You won nine nothing on that one. <laughs> yeah, I. Yeah. <laughs> I. Uh, I didn't have good collective thoughts for that one. That's I knew a tough right side to argue, Raj. Like I don't even know how yeah. you argue with that side. It was tough. It was tough. So for the oil and gas in 30 years, Raj, you won 5-4. Uh, for the promotion at work, Raj, you won 7-2. And then for the the salary, 60000 versus 100000 Raj, you won 7-2. And then Wasif, you won the last debate, 8-1. So if you're, if you, what was the last one again? I already forgot. The leadership, <laughs> or does money buy happiness? Oh, okay. Okay. So, so that put that puts the total at Raj four with C three. So let me let me pose an alternate scenario because this seems like an electoral college situation to me. What if you tally out <laughs> all the collective votes of all of them towards Raj and towards me, and I might actually squeak out a win? No, you you for sure won then because I bombed two of them. Completely. This seems like the, literally the U.S. situation where you just give power to smaller <laughs> states and you don't actually care about what the way people vote. Cam, Cam is current, ta currently tallying up the votes, so we'll, okay, we're, we'll we're, get a number in shortly. Uh, this is this was by no means discussed ahead of time, Raj. So I'm just being a sore loser. So I'm just putting <laughs> just putting that out there. I'm I'm surprised. I actually thought like. My my issue was I wanted to say too many things. I never actually closed my thoughts, whereas you actually closed. Like you picked one thing and you went with I pre it and you closed it. But I prematurely closed sometimes. Like I could have probably said more. Mm, I had to cut. I, I think that's better because Brendan. Yeah. Brendan cut me off almost every time, whereas he didn't cut you off. So I I actually thought I lost because of that. I would have lost because of that. So. That's <laughs> okay. It does okay. Uh, I have the final votes. Okay. So Raj, you had 29 votes in your favor throughout the seven debates. And Wasif, you had 34 votes in your favor. <laughs> Look, I'm just going to accept the so, defeat, Brendan, because the, the rules were very, very clearly defined. I just couldn't. I just couldn't capitalize on what it is. So it's OK. I'll be I'll be Al Gore or. I'll be, I guess, Hillary reluctantly, but it's it's fine. <laughs> I, I I I knew the game that I signed up for. I just happened to lose. Right? So you can take. I'll give you a quick twenty dollar bill, and you can donate it to any charity of your choosing. Potentially, it's going to Peta. <laughs> of course it is. Of course it is. And uh, so. I'll I'll just close off the the podcast because I want to get some some feedback from everyone in the in the call here. Some. Um, thanks for everyone tuning in and I hope this was informative. Some of the things that Wasif and I said, you'll probably want to fact check it. I, you know, we're making stuff up on the, on the spot. I think exercises like these, I would for sure want to do these I, again. I learned a lot about, I ramble and Wasif was more concise, but, um, thanks for tuning in and remember to stay hungry and stay humble. Uh, we would love to catch you guys in the next season. This is our season finale. It's probably going to drop in a couple months where we have recovered from this debate and we'll, uh, we'll continue to soldier on. So thank you, everybody. Live audience, you guys can stay and we can have a discussion after. But cheers. This is the end of the episode. Have a good one.